Good morning once again to you. Um, kind of tell you where we're going um, this morning. Um, I want to kind of hit rewind on this series and go back to the start and talk about um, kind of where we've been in this series. And I want to talk about this fourth monster that we're going to look about look at. And then I want to kind of move on and talk about this entire series as a whole and why it's important. And then how do we move on from here? And so that's kind of um, where we're headed this morning. If you remember back to the beginning of this series, we began in the book of Proverbs with this message from the Proverbs writer that gave us this, um, this important word. He says, watch out. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And there's this incredible importance in us protecting our heart because everything we do flows out of what is inside of us. And I think it begins with protecting what comes into our life so that what does flow out will be worthy of Jesus and his cross and his kingdom. And the next week we talked about the monster of guilt. Guilt ultimately says, I owe you. And we battle the monster of guilt through confession. The confession is something that leads us to genuine change in our life. It's not just simply getting the guilt off of our chest, but it's about changing who we are from the inside out. The next week we talked about anger. And ultimately anger says, you owe me. Someone has done something to us that we perceive is wrong, and so now there is this debt-to-debtor relationship that's created, and now they owe them they owe me something, and that we battle anger through forgiveness. And then last week, we talked about the monster of greed. And if you remember, greed lives in the gap between what we need and what we want. But we battle the monster of greed through generosity, through stepping outside of ourself, looking at what we have been given and what we've been blessed with, and being generous in return. And so I want to talk this week about this fourth monster that might be the most dangerous because of the debt-to-debtor relationship it does create within us. But first, I want you to watch this. Watch yourself. Bob, who goes there? Don't shoot. It's okay. Friends. Do you know these life forms? Yes. They're Andy's toys. All right, everyone. You're clear to come up. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. Oh, I'm so glad you're not a dinosaur. Thank you. Now, thank you all for your kind welcome. Say, what's that button do? I'll show you. Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. Hey, Woody's got something like that. His is a pool strength. Only Only it sounds like a car ran over it. Oh, yeah, but not like this one. This is a quality sound system. Probably all copper wiring, huh? So, uh, where are you from? Singapore? Hong Kong? Well, no. Actually, I, I'm, I'm stationed up in the Gamma Quadrant of Sector 4. As a member of the elite Universe Protection Unit of the Space Ranger Corps, I protect the galaxy from the threat of invasion from the evil Emperor Zerg, sworn enemy of the Galactic Alliance. Oh, really? I'm from Play School. And I'm from Mattel. Well, I'm not really from Mattel. I'm actually from a smaller company that was purchased in a leveraged buyout. Well, I don't You think they've never seen a new toy before? Well, sure. Look at him. He's got more gadgets on him than a Swiss Army knife. Ah, 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 ah. Please be careful. You don't want to be in the way when my laser goes off. Hey, a laser? How come you don't have a laser, Woody? It's not a laser. It's a... 
There's a little light bulb that blinks. What's with him? Laser envy. All right, that's enough. Look, we're all very impressed with Andy's new toy. Toy? T-O-Y. Toy. Excuse me, I, I think the word you're searching for is Space Ranger. The word I'm searching for, I can't say, because there's preschool toys present. Getting kind of tense, aren't you? Oh, uh, Mr. Lightyear, uh, now I'm curious. If you've ever seen Toy Story, you, you know the next part of this is Woody, who is now jealous of Buzz because Buzz has the attention of everyone else in the room. All the other toys look at Buzz and say, man, we wish we had that. Well, that's where jealousy comes from. Jealousy surfaces when we see someone who has something we want or wish we had or think we deserve. Whether it's looks or a waistline or hair, whether it is height or skin color or opportunities or a job or looks or intelligence. We look at someone else and they have something we want and we desire it. And the bottom line is that jealousy begins to surface, it bubbles to the surface because ultimately God did not give you what you think you needed, wanted, or deserved. And ultimately, jealousy says, God owes me. God, if you had taken care of me the way that you had taken care of them, then things wouldn't be as they are. God, if you had given me the height or the looks or the opportunity or the hair or the personality or the humor, if you had given me what I deserve, then things would be different. If you had taken care of me the way that you took care of them, then I would be content. And I would be okay. It's jealousy that creates this debt-to-debtor relationship between us and God. And you think, well, that's kind of harsh. That, that's not really what I'm thinking when I, I, I'm jealous of someone, but it is. Who is the only one who could have given you those things that you do not have that you desire? whether it be looks or intelligence or opportunities or a different child or a different spouse? Who, who could have changed all of your circumstances and put you in a different place other than God? And ultimately, jealousy says, God, you owe me. You did not do right by me in the way that you did for those around me. And so jealousy starts to surface in our life. And here's the thing, we think it's so harmless. But the problem is the relationship that it has just created 
is deadly. See, these monsters, above everything else, seek to wreck your relationships. At at the heart of every single one of these monsters, guilt, anger, greed, jealousy, it seeks to create a difficulty and a fracture in the relationships that you have with other people. They affect the way that you relate to your spouse and your children and your co-workers and your neighbors. They make those relationships difficult because now there is a debt-to-debtor relationship that there was not before. And so now those relationships are fractured and those relationships become really difficult. And the, the problem is we try to just sweep them under the rug and pretend like they're not a big deal and like they don't matter. But they do. And I want to talk for just a second about what's below the surface of all of these monsters. Guilt, anger, greed, jealousy. What's, what's below? What's the thing below the thing beneath the thing? What's underneath? And at the core of this is a person. See, when I was in um, student ministry, there was a, a student in our youth group who was having relationship difficulties, not with females, but just other students. He was struggling and getting in fights. He was um, having um, these fractured relationships. And so we agreed that with him and his mom that I would go pick him up from school every Tuesday and that we would go to Sonic and we would get something to eat and drink and we would just talk. And so every week I'm, I'm talking to him and every week I'm listening to the problems and he says, well, these kids don't like me and they're doing this to me and they're picking on me and they're, they're, they're messing with me and all these things. It was just, here's, here's what's happening to me. I said, hey, you've taken math, right? I said, yeah, yeah, I've taken math. I said, in math, you talk about a common denominator, something that's consistent in every problem. What's the common denominator in all of your relationships? And he thinks about it for a second, and he says, none of them really like me. Okay, let's have a kind of a remedial lesson here. Here's the common denominator in every single relationship you have. You. You are the one constant. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. You are the one constant in every single relationship you have. Every relationship with your spouse, every relationship with your children, every relationship with your coworkers, every relationship with your neighbors, the one constant in every relationship is you. And we have this mindset, this idea, we'll just sweep these under the, the rug and they'll go away. Greed, anger, jealousy, guilt, all of them, they'll go away and they won't be any big deal and our problems will get better. But here's the truth. They don't. And the one constant in every one of those relationships that's fractured and that struggles is you. You are the one. And James addresses this. James is the brother of Jesus. And in chapter 4, I want you to listen to these words that he says. What causes 
fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You have these desires, and we talked about last week, these desires that lead to, to greed. Remember, we have the wants, and then we have the needs, and greed lives in the gap. And in the gap, there are these appetites, these God-given needs that every single one of us have. The need for security, the need for um, a house and a place to sleep, the need to be taken care of, the need for relationship and intimacy and belonging and purpose, these needs that we have. But what happens is these needs that are appetites over time get out of control. Have you ever seen someone with an appetite that has gotten out of control? An appetite for love that eventually became lust, that led to an affair or led to an addiction. An appetite for food that eventually led to gluttony and obesity. And I'm not looking at anyone, I'll close my eyes when I say these, sorry. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. <laughs> An appetite to belong. And we have to learn to manage and control these appetites. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, Appetites grow through indulgence, not neglect. Gluttons think about food just as much as a starving person. You have these appetites within you, these desires that James says, that battle within you. And then James goes on verse 2, he says, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. These appetites for stuff and recognition and success and sex and intimacy and fun, these are needs that over time become appetites that are out of control. And ultimately, he comes to this place where he says, you, you have these things or you don't have these things because you don't ask God. So I want to talk real quickly about moving beyond jealousy. How, how do we get beyond this debt-to-debtor relationship with God where it says, God owes me? So here's, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go home and you're going to pull out a piece of paper and you're going to begin writing down everything that's wrong in your life. Everything that you see that someone else has that you want, just lay it all out there. Whether it's looks or opportunities or kids or spouse or your home or your job, all those things that you look and say, God, if you had done right by me, then I would have what they have. Write them down. Then here's the big part. I want you to lay them out to God and just simply and bluntly say, God, you owe me. All this you've done wrong to me by, and you owe me. Yeah, he, he can handle it. Just give it to him. So question. Does that seem a little daunting 
to anyone. Just to say, God, you have done wrong by me, and now you owe me. Because if that seems just a little bit over the top, you're in a really good place. You're you're in the place that you need to be to move beyond the jealousy. I want you to listen to these words from Paul in Romans chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of an atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Do you hear how absurd it sounds when we say, God, you owe me? Because the truth is, God owes us nothing. And we owe him everything. Because the very thing we did deserve, we did not receive. The very thing we were unworthy of, forgiveness, he gives freely. And the cost is his son that he gave is that atoning sacrifice to give you life and to give you hope. God owes you nothing. And then James goes on in verse 3, and he says, You ask, but you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The the motives, those desires that, that are within us, that are wreaking havoc on our relationships, that are breaking down community, those desires are the ones that lead to this jealousy and they lead to greed and they lead to anger and they lead to guilt. But I think one of the things that will happen, and we're going to kind of get there in a minute, is what he says after this. He says, submit yourself, in verse 7. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That as we move beyond 
jealousy. It's this understanding that God has done immensely more than we could ever ask of him. And the way that we fight back against jealousy is through gratitude. It's through thankfulness and thanksgiving. That we are grateful, that we are thankful, that we owe God everything that we have. And we are thankful. But what jealousy does is say, look at them. Look at what they have that I don't. God, you owe me. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we take a really deep look inside, we realize how absurd that really is. So as we talk about these four monsters, guilt, anger, greed, jealousy, how do we move beyond them? And maybe the better question is, well, why does it matter? In, in 2018, why does this matter to me? The God of the universe wrapped himself in flesh and left the glory of heaven. He came as a little baby in the back alleys of Bethlehem under the cover of night in the shadows of a massive global empire bent on oppression to the weak and the marginalized. He taught about the kingdom of God that was breaking into the darkness, but more than that, he actually enacted the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He lived perfectly, loved fully, and embraced everyone, the sinner and the saint alike. And then in the most perfect act of self-giving, self-sacrificing love, he allowed the power of darkness to overcome him. And he was put on display on top of a hill, and he hung in pain and agony as sin did its absolute worst to him. And sin and death would reign and win the day, or so it would seem. But then something happened that changed everything from that moment on. Jesus fully gave up his godness and entered into death. But in death, God raised him from the dead. And quite literally, Jesus enters death, fills death with himself, so that in death, all you find is Christ. And then he begins to appear to people who say, we saw him, he was dead, and now he is alive. You see, on the other side of resurrection, there is a new world that only moments before did not and could not exist. And it's not just a world where our sins are forgiven, but now it is the possibility of a world without sin. You see, you look at the world around you and you say, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. You see pain and hurt. You see guilt and anger and greed and jealousy. You see it in the political arena. You see it in violence and in shootings. You see it in children being sold as sex slaves. You see it all around us and we say this is not the way things are supposed to be. And our inclination is to say they need to change. But here's the truth. You need to change. 
I need to change. Because the kingdom of God is here and present now through his people who embody his way of forgiveness. That we are quite literally a forgiven community of forgiving sinners. That we embrace the way of the cross and we embody it to a world that does not look right because it is fractured and broken. And the relationships that we have that are fractured and broken are the relationships that Jesus has sent you into this world to make whole and to make right. And as we allow guilt and anger and greed and jealousy to take root in our life, we battle those through confession and forgiveness and generosity and gratitude. That as our lives look different, it's as it was a little ray of light set atop a hill that begins to give light to everyone around it. It's you and I that we embody the kingdom and the way of Jesus that changed this world. It is the only thing that ever has. It is the only thing that ever will. And so as we wrap up this series, I want to give you something really, really practical that you can take with you that begins to fight against these monsters. These monsters that hide in the darkness of your life, that lurk in the shadows, that you could lure them out into the open and destroy them. But how do we do that? How do we lure these monsters out into the open so that we can fight back against them? How do we allow confession, forgiveness, generosity, and gratitude to overpower them? And I would say, first of all, it begins with prayer. And and I know most of you think, "Well, well, I pray, but I think that we have a really inadequate and incomplete understanding and perception of prayer. Because ultimately prayer is us petitioning God to do what we think he needs to do. We need God to serve our purposes and to fill our needs. And our prayer life becomes very shallow with God. Here's what you need to do for me. And God fixed them. And God, give this and heal them. And it very much becomes us giving God our to-do list for him. And if you could kind of get on it pretty quickly, it would be helpful. Because I'm pretty impatient. And so prayer becomes us petitioning God. The primary purpose of prayer in our mind and in our thought is, God, we want you to do this for us. But the primary purpose of prayer is that we would be properly formed. Prayer is not us giving God a to-do list. Prayer is what is forming and shaping us. Because our perception of prayer is, God, here's what you need to do for me. 
I can promise you over time will only fuel your anger and your greed and your jealousy. But if you allow prayer to be something in your life that forms you, it will shape you into a person of confession, forgiveness, generosity, and gratitude. But it's important that prayer forms you and shapes you. If you remember back a couple years ago, we did a series on prayer and we talked about liturgy. And I think for me, it's been one of the most important things that I have done in my prayer life through praying the prayers of other people who have gone before me and praying through Scripture. It has rewired and reshaped the way not only that I see the world, but the way that I am seeing the people that I relate to. Because it does put in front of me the daily practice of confession and forgiveness, of generosity and gratitude. And so this morning, I want to give you just a little gift for me. It's pretty simple. There will be some up here on the stage. Someone will be passing them out at the back door, and there will also be some at the Welcome Center when we get done. But it's a daily liturgy that just walks you through, and I will promise you will teach you how to pray. It will teach you how to pray, and it will begin to shape and pray change what you pray for. And so if you weren't here for that series, I think it was in November of of 2016. You can go back. It's on our website. I would highly recommend um, going back if, if you struggle with prayer. But I hope this is something that will begin to shape and change the way that you see the world, the way that you see people, the way that you have relationships The prayer becomes something that is properly forming you as we fight back against the monsters of guilt, anger, greed, and generosity. And we learn to be people of confession, forgiveness, generosity, and gratitude. So, as we wrap up, I want to invite you just to bow with me for a moment. Father God, creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Israel, God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the true and living God, have mercy and hear our prayer. O Lord, open our lips and our mouths shall proclaim your praise. Glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. We are truly sorry. And we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. 
that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Father, we are sinful. We are a broken people. We are a people who have looked into the eyes of God, of you, and said, God, you owe us. God, we are sorry. Because the bottom line is we owe you nothing. Or you owe us nothing. We owe you everything. Father, we owe everything that we have to you. Not not just our possessions. But Father, more, more importantly, your grace, your forgiveness that was poured out freely for us. And Father, we hope and we pray that we would find life in that promise that we are a forgiven people, that through your cross and through your resurrection there is a new world that you have invited us into, a world where sin and death do not get the final say, where sin and death have lost their sting, a world where Jesus reigns where he is king and the kingdom of darkness will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overpower him. So Father, today, may once again we surrender our lives to you. Once again, we give you all we have. And Father, these monsters that fight so hard against our hearts and against our souls, they convince us that we need more, that we want more, that we have a right to be angry, that we have a right to inflict guilt on people, that we have a right to take for ourselves what we need and not take care of the other people around us. Father, rid us of that. Root it out of our heart and our soul and our mind. And Father, form us into people of confession and forgiveness and generosity and gratitude. That we would embody the way of Jesus. That we would be people of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in your Son And Father, we pray your blessing on us today. Change us. Leave us different from when we came in this morning. And may we embody your kingdom fully. Lord Almighty, everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Amen.